Hey everyone, this is Elle. When Jen, John, and I started this show in spring of 2018, we had no idea the events that would unfold, and we are grateful to our listeners and our supporters for helping us to sustain and grow this show despite numerous setbacks and challenges. This next episode you're about to hear was actually recorded in the late summer of 2018 with a special audience in mind. Look for a feature of myself and hopefully this podcast in Vice TV's Slut Ever, Season 2, their final episode, premiering March 31st, 2019. A big thank you to Carly Shortino and the cast of Slut Ever for coming on to our Slutty Sex Therapist episode. And if you would like to give feedback or ideas, what you'd like to hear more or less of for season two, please write to us, pillowtalk at strangebedfellowspdx.com. Follow us on patreon.com forward slash strangebedfellows. You will have to enter that in because the fact that we are adult content means that we have agreed to make ourselves unsearchable on their website. My name is Elle and I'm a sex educator. My name is Jen, and I'm a private investigator. We want to learn more about ourselves. I'm like the boring vanilla one over here that's like, I don't do anything, but I'm, cu- I'm curious. And the fact that we're both sex workers means that we have insight into things taboo. Trigger warning, if you're easily upset by this stuff, maybe take a break. I have a feeling this is going to be weird. Sex and politics make for some very strange bedfellows. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows. Jen, we have a guest. We do have a guest. We have Angie Gunn here. We have, right yeah. Next to me. Yes. Licensed clinical social worker and ASECT certified sex therapist, Angie Gunn. We also have, can I mention, like 13 people from Slut Ever? <laughs> <laughs> Kai Carly. Hi. Hi, Carly. <laughs> so if you're listening, thank you. Um, this is a special episode. Um, We're going to talk about some sex work, sex education, um, civil rights, human rights. So Angie, a little bit about you. You focus on sexuality, gender, and relationships from a trauma-informed perspective. We'll talk more about that later. And you put an emphasis on treating marginalized populations who have a difficulty accessing knowledgeable and sensitive care. So many of your clients are dancers, sex workers, members of the BDSM, uh, non-monogamy, and LGBTQ communities. And you're also board chair of Speak, which is a sexuality nonprofit serving the local community. And Angie and I, um, I mean, full transparency, we're going to start doing some small therapy groups that I'm going to be facilitating. So we're going to be working together. Yes. Yes. And we get to know each other even more. So Jen and Angie, you two don't know each other. Um, Angie, why did you get into this such like exhaustive, intensive, emotionally intense work? Or is it not? Is it super easy? (laughs) I mean, talking about sex is fun, but um, trauma makes it a little bit more challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, thank you. So why did you, why did you choose the challenging work? I mean, the, yeah, sex sure. is the fun stuff. <clears throat> yeah, I think one of the challenges in growing up in a really traumatized family system is that I was constantly having to be my own healer, um, especially around my own sexuality and my own search for pleasure and connection to my body. And I found that that was really important work, especially for those who 
are trying to do that for a living and also navigate personal pleasure as, as well as how to be um, making money and being in world in the world in a profession that's really challenging. Um, so I've always felt like I specifically had a role in being a healer from within, but also a healer to those around me. Um, those especially that others can't really see and understand. Um, I'm out in the community as kinky and poly and queer, um, and it's a really interesting dynamic to see clients in sexual spaces and help them navigate language and talk to them about in session how they can be full people integrated in their sexuality while still having professionalism and credibility and other kinds of roles. And I work hard to balance that in the terms of my presence. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in Oregon, so being a certified sex therapist, it's still kind of dangerous for you to out yourself in some social circles as a kinky person, you know, as anybody in BDSM, because people, I mean, around the country in more conservative areas, people lose their licenses for being involved in SM. People lose their children for being sex workers. I mean, there's cam girls that are debating custody of their children right now all around the country and other porn models, strippers, because it's been brought to, you know, the court that they're not a, a fit parent because their job is adult or sexual in nature. Certainly, there's a lot of ethics to manage and I work really hard to seek my clients' consent and work hard to give them the space to decide if I'm a good fit for them given the outness that I express. Um, but I do have a lot of privilege as well being a white cisgendered female. So I know that that also gives me access that I can be more of a spokesperson for pushing the boundaries around being authentic human beings that have a sexual expression and also can be therapists and healers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what are some of the current obstacles that come up when we talk about accessing sex education or sex therapy? I mean, cost is one of them, certainly. Um, this administration's making it harder because they're closing clinics. I mean, Republicans before this administration were closing Planned Parenthoods and clinics around the country, but... Right. I think one, definitely one of the challenges also is stigma. There's a lot of therapists who have no sexuality training and no experience in any of these communities. And so there's a lot of judgment around, well, maybe if you just stop sex work, that will make your mental health issues better, <laughs> or you'll stop having so much trauma experiences when most people are... Um, trying to navigate really complex dynamics around their own healing and trauma experiences and has nothing to do with their jobs. <laughs> it has nothing to do with whether you're a waitress or a sex worker, um, but normalizing that you get to be all those things and can also get the help that you need. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty interesting. So Jen, you've been a stripper for 20 years. More like 22. <laughs> for a really, really long time. Yeah. And you also, I mean, you're, we know you're a private investigator in your other time, which is both really um, can be pretty intense work. I mean, in between dancing and, um, I don't know, interviewing witnesses, I feel like I hear everything. I feel like I'm a, a liver, like a giant liver. Like, I just filter out all the worst <laughs> shit of society. I just hear all of it. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I've been told definitely as a stripper that I am like a therapist. Or I've had people say, right. this is better than therapy. It's not that it's better than therapy. It's better than the therapy they've probably had. Certainly. And how many, how many sex therapists, actually, this is a question that I ask people, but it's something that I've heard and maybe you have too, but there are sex therapists that don't talk to their clients about their sex lives. I mean, like couples therapists that they don't go very deep because of their own personal biases. Or, I mean, I, you're making a face like, what? <laughs> I mean, that's so weird. Me, yeah, and it's pretty common that therapists themselves haven't done much work around exploring their own sexuality. So there's a lot of their own stigma and shame that comes up when mm -hmm. trying to treat others. Um, and exploring, especially if there's any fetish-related re behavior or anything that is arousal outside of their spectrum or their comfortability, um, they have a hard time managing that. So mm -hmm. is special training in sexuality then not included in your sort of standard training? Most or? grad schools, it's not. Okay. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people don't talk to their therapists about maybe, I don't know, their little fetish or mm -hmm. 
their rape role play they want to engage in because a lot of therapists have no idea. They don't know anything about like the healing that can come from people interacting in BDSM scenes, you know, which I've experienced, which maybe you've experienced. You've heard me talk about before, but um, I was at a training and it was sex educators and different kinds of therapists. None of them were sex therapists, but a lot of them were family, marriage, couples, counselors. And we watched, part of our training was like, it was a discover your own bias training, basically. So we'd watch all kinds of pornography and erotic material. And I was sitting at a table with some older women and they had never seen transgender people before naked. So they were having a really hard time with the language and just ideas. And it's really funny. I'm like, of course, people aren't going to seek out therapy because who are the providers? A lot of the providers are not us hip young millennials who have queer friends, who have trans friends, who are queer, who might be trans. So we really need a lot more people getting into the sex ed and sex therapy world to come from these backgrounds and non-white people as well, because it's like, who are your clients? Not just white people. (laughs) And we all have different issues. Certainly. And in general, therapists that have more awareness of intersectionality and fighting oppressive techniques in our own sessions. Because therapists have so much implicit bias that we bring to the room that you're always using yourself in session. There's always going to be a part of me that comes out. And I want to make sure the parts of me is parts that are fighting shame, fighting stigma, and making everyone feel really accepted and supported. um, And giving me feedback if I do use the wrong language or I do maybe misunderstand something about their life or their job. um, I want to really work hard to see that understanding and let them have that space to be all of themselves and be fully integrated in session. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the problems you think that we that sex workers face in our communities? I mean, it, it can be really hard to rent, honestly. All the time I see dancers, strippers, sex workers, they say, how do I fill out a job application, a rent application, right. a resume? Because if you list the work, it's not it's not real work. It's not good. It's not a real job. Yeah. And you're marked for it. And if you leave it off, that's huge gaps in your resume. I, I find it so ironic that like society tells... Uh, sex workers, dancers that we need that we need to get out of the business and we need help getting out of the business, but there's literally no resources for you to get out and it's like right. an albatross you carry around your neck for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Certainly. And then at the um, same point they're fetishizing you and um, objectifying you to the point where you should be wanting to do this work for free and you should be getting off on it and and <laughs> why are you why are you not responding to the male entitlement that comes when they come into the club or come into and the, the female session? Entitlement. Oh, it's okay female entitlement. Yeah, it's okay to treat you a certain way because you're used to it. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, getting that's an interesting one. Getting gasoline as the show has grown and we've become more visible locally, um, going to get gas, going to get coffee. And I had a gas station attendant and he says, oh, I know where I've seen you before. I've seen you at Lucky Devil, which is not uncommon. The, the strip club where I work. Right. I've been there nine years. I'm like, OK, cool. Nice to see you. And he started trying. He's like, I bet you guys make a lot of money. And I could tell he his fantasy was like keying up. And here mm-hmm. I am. It's like four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like. <laughs> Put some freaking gas in my car. Regular, please. You know, Um, and I made that conversation so unsexy so fast. (laughs) But people do that. It's like this is a job. We leave our jobs. Conversely, you get friends who kind of do the opposite. I'm sure um, you've had this happen where your your buddies come in and expect a free lap dance, or oh, I don't have to tip you and show my friends a good time. Come to this this party. Yeah, I have this this pole at my house. Come to this party. You could dance. Everyone would love it. Oh, I'm sorry. Are they tipping me? No, I'm not free entertainment. When you see red flags, entitlement is a huge red flag to assault because the yeah. reason people, I think, commit sexual assault is because they feel entitled to your body. Yeah, right. well, people don't think they can assault us, especially right. at, at work. They think it's not assault. I mean, um, right. you can't rape a can't rape a prostitute. 
I, I was surprised. Pretty recently, I had um, a gentleman sitting at my rack um, who, out of nowhere, stuck his finger someplace. I'm sorry. Yeah, that it should not have gone. Your ass <laughs> in or front your of a- vulva, vagina? <laughs> vulva, in uh. front of a whole room of people. Um, and it was the most disconcerting thing about it was the room was half full and all the dudes just kind of sipping their beer like it's par for the course. Interesting. Like just taking it in the atmosphere. And I think that's such a common experience. Like if you work a really busy Friday night, there's a decent chance you're going to get grabbed. Someone's mm. going to slap your ass or worse or mm-hmm. whatever. And it doesn't make it any less traumatic for us. But I think people, it happens right. enough that people think it's okay to do that. Well, and part of that is the stuff people see on television. Because I have 21-year-olds who have never been to a strip club before, and they tell me this. And again, I've been doing this for about a decade, so I see their baby fresh faces, and they're like, ooh, you know, like stamped (laughs) on their forehead. I'm new, and I have them be like, come on, baby girl, show me what you got. And I'm like, where did you think you could talk to me like that? Did you see that on TV? Because you've never done this before, you know, but you already think you know how to do it, and it's derogatory. So I'm like, oh, no, we'll have a better interaction if you treat me with courtesy. (laughs) And it's a real learning process for a lot of people. Certainly. Well, then Um, for the dancers, I think there's a lot of challenges around compounding trauma. So you already start with a lot of most of us have intergenerational trauma from our families of origin. And then add into that trauma in our relationships, trauma in um, daily interactions with strangers. And it's really hard to cope and then manage all the stressors that come with doing this work. Mm -hmm. And I mean, people definitely we choose the work because it can be lucrative um, I've learned so much about my body, my awareness, how to talk to people, um, rhythm. <laughs> you know, I've, sa- I've saved up. Um, I'm able to talk to my child better. I think about boundaries, setting boundaries. Um, so there's definitely a lot of benefits, but and that it can is, be fun and it can it be, can be yeah. super fun. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. interacting with people, the stories. Um, what are some other problems? So we talked about it's hard to rent sometimes getting a bank account. Um, I know of a dancer who said she went into a a bank. I go to a credit union, but (laughs) she went into a bank and she was 19, I think, 19 or 20. So um, without any guidance from her parents because she didn't tell her parents what she was doing because they would react badly um, based on all of their bias that they've had. Um, So she says to the person, I want to open a checking account. The person says, okay, starts getting her information. What do you do? And she says, I'm a stripper. Um, and the teller refused to help her and said, you can't open an account if you don't have pay stubs, which is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so she actually had to ask for someone else to help her because that person just refused service. And it's not a surprise. Right. Um, and I will say if you work at a club, um, especially if you, this goes, this is probably just if you're a dancer, but if you work at, at a club where you have a reasonable owner, most of them will be willing to fudge for you and say oh, that boss. you're a waitress or a bartender and that's such an important resource and like so good to clear we shouldn't have to boss. have our managers and our bosses lie for us for consensual right. labor right. but thank goodness they do yeah but i think about like that teller like what do we probably assume about her own sexuality and her understanding of her body and pleasure and her education she received and it's the systemic issue across our world that most people don't get good support and we spend the rest of our lives unlearning what our parents taught us and then relearning how to get in touch with our bodies and pleasure and move towards things that feel good without shame mm-hmm. and it's such a huge part of I think dancers really are a great part of our society in the sense that they bring that to the forefront for people mm-hmm. um, whether they, whether that discomfort is wanted or not <laughs> it mm-hmm. gives them the opportunity to learn about their sexuality and, and confront these issues mm-hmm. yeah I had um, we get a lot of women in the club where I work Jen you get a lot of women Portland tends yeah. to have a pretty we have 
heavy so, female clientele. Sometimes 50-50 yeah. on some nights. Mm-hmm. Like 50, I'm a big fan. Women. Yeah. <laughs> and it's amazing. Last night I had, you know, you know. So when you're looking out at the at the crowd and you see there's women that are like, and men too, but let's talk about the women for a second because we're talking about the teller. Um, you see women that are like, I had a woman last night. I looked, I looked at her while I was in the middle and her partner did a thing. And I said, eh. And she says, when you jumped to that pole, I almost started crying because it was beautiful. She mm-hmm. was like, I'm from Minneapolis. I've never seen oh. any of this. But then you look out and you see the other women that are like, it's like, I know you're talking right. shit about my body right. because you're unhappy with yours or whatever, because people who are secure don't attack other people like that. Right. So with the teller, it's like, does she have trauma? Does she have fear? Sometimes I've heard before, like, um, my dad cheated on my mom with a sex worker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the same time, which I'm is like- rare, but I've heard that. So I hate all sex. I'm like, yeah, I eat, I ate a bad sandwich once. <laughs> Fuck all sandwiches. <laughs> you know? I don't know my attitude about that stuff. I mean, it's like I feel bad for you, but don't come into my place of business where I'm trying to pay my rent and shit on my existence good mood. Yeah, <laughs> right. that. I just have no tolerance for that stuff. And I'll do my best to make men and women feel, I can tell when someone's uncomfortable. I can tell, I can tell when they need a little extra attention. I'm happy to give that. Or but space. Don't, right. Or space, but don't, but I'll only try so hard. And if you're getting in the way of me making money off of somebody who really wants to give it to me, then yeah, they'll then just I'm going to tell you, you. to <laughs> just give, them my, yeah. give them my business card instead. Um, <laughs> I would love to do that. You should go see Angie. Yeah. So I have to, <laughs> I have to mention it. Uh, Slutwalk Portland is coming up in Ooh. September. Yeah, I'm, I'm a co-organizer since, uh, you know, again, if I think what I'm going to start doing when feminists don't want to support sex workers i'm going to try to appeal to them as it being a workers rights issue um do you guys have any comments on that yeah i just see it boston sesta as being a, a legislation where the puritanical left and the puritanical right were able to cross the aisles and get together on something that's mm-hmm. not good well and even also elizabeth warren her new yeah. banking bill s952 which would make it illegal to host banking to traffickers, which could be um, cam websites, porn websites, strip club stuff. So now I'm like, if I'm an adult worker and that's marked as trafficking, we already have problems. PayPal, Square, Venmo, all those payment processors refuse to work with adult entertainers. Yeah, well, imagine when your bank just seizes your savings account. It's terrifying. Yep. And that's happened to workers, too. Chase Bank a few years ago, they shut down a bunch of porn star accounts because they didn't want to get involved in trap. I mean, what does it it take to look someone in the eye and say, are you doing your work consensually? Yes, I am. (laughs) I have business cards. I got a Rolodex. Leave me alone. (laughs) Right. I think think one of the challenges is it comes back to that individual shame. You know, we've decided as a society that we can blame and target sex as the problem. That this is, there's been multiple states now that have decided that porn is a public health crisis. Really, of all of the things happening in our world right now, porn is the thing that you're worried about in terms of well-being and humans. And but it, but it's it's the easiest thing to jump onto because mm-hmm. there's so much of that internalized self-hate around sex and pleasure, and they spend so much of their own life avoiding dealing with their own own issues around it. That mm-hmm. it's, it's really easy to then target that as um, the point of problem in terms of the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Jen's making a face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just have so many feelings about it, and it's so hard to get. Um, I think in order to push back against FOSTA and SESTA, you really need a lot of mainstream support against it, which which means more normal people, more civilians to get on board with it. And unfortunately, right. usually 
it's hard to get civilians to care about our plight. They, a lot of them, it's weird. It's like we're victims and we have no agency, yet we do it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's like a contradiction there. So on that, I think, I think, and not too often, but I have experiences. I, I do believe that there are other cis women who have a deep hatred of sex workers because either they have their own trauma around men and sex and they don't understand how we could possibly engage willingly with these things. Like there's, there must be something wrong with us, you know, uh, disregarding the fact that people choose difficult jobs all the time. Um, or they thrive on them or it's just their circumstance. Again, like some people just do sex work cause it's the best option for them and they have, that's their choice under capitalism. Um, so I think there's some hatred from women like that. And then I also think it is the general confusion around how we feel about women who have sex willingly anyway, whether or not it's for money. Because what are we taught in so much, you know, abstinence education? You had the woman with the tape. Every time you have sex with someone, you're getting deposits on your body um, <laughs> or you're stretching out the shoe. And we know that like... Female slut shaming from day one. <laughs> Female slut shaming. Um, we have so much bad information around sex ed. I mean, holy crap. Do you remember? I asked some of our listeners to tell me what kind of sex ed they received in school. Um, this one woman says, We watched an abstinence video and we watched a video about the birthing process. And the teacher told the girls to look away during the scenes that showed vaginas. And in other classes, the male teacher actually forcibly directed a boy's head towards the television screen. There was no talk about development, STIs, uh, prevention. We were told that Planned Parenthood will tell your parents everything. (laughs) Uh, There's so many of these. Um, Another one was... Write a letter to your future husband about why you're saving yourself for him. <laughs> like, and, and one woman, she said, I'm 21, so this was only eight years ago. Well, that ownership wow. language is so so horrific in terms of that your husband or your partner, anyone has ownership of your genitals. And I work with couples and individuals all the time around, like, no one can own your genitals. You always have your own volition over what you do with them, no matter what your relationship structure is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's so much lack of information around what does my body do and is pleasure okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I was even at a sex therapy conference and the word pleasure was only mentioned in the program once. Mm. <laughs> and there's this like juxtaposition between this is the work we're doing, but all we talk about is pathology and what's wrong with you and what's wrong with our bodies. And even in my field, it's difficult to find folks that are moving towards what do you want? What's going to feel good? How do you understand what's happening? And maybe that means hiring somebody to help you with that. There, there was someone else on that who said that um, they had one student, a fifth grade female student in her class asked the science teacher if sex feels good and the teacher paused and she said yes it does and uh, my friend who commented this she said it was really interesting I carried that with me for a long time because the it seems like such a simple question does sex Mm -hmm. feel good well it certainly can but it's funny that it's even a question like why are we doing because it seems so scary to a lot of kids look at all the diseases you're gonna get i had a comment on the bravery of that teacher too i feel like depending on what state that's in i imagine that could probably get you fired Mm -hmm. to acknowledge that sex is for anything other than making babies with your husband Mm -hmm. once a month very much so attention service and sex industry workers seeking space yoga is dedicated to providing a holistic option for after your shift with new 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. class times. Seeking Space is rooted in empathy, and they've combined creative flows and experienced teachers to provide a safe, inviting space for any and all wishing to find peace on the mat. Need a little motivation? 
They are offering 10% off on all memberships and packages for those in the industry. Visit SeekingSpaceYoga.com or download the Seeking Space Yoga app for more information and a full list of class times. If you're looking to jazz up a jacket, bag, or just your fine self, our friends at Gimme Flair have everything you could possibly need. Gimme Flair is the largest online retailer of pins and patches that range from the cute and sweet to the snarky and slutty. They are sex positive, queer friendly, and aim to crush mental health stigma, all with fun flair from around the globe. Check out gimmeflare.com to browse items from over 250 plus artists. Strange Bedfellows is also brought to you by Black Bulb Podcast. If you've ever wondered about the deeper meaning behind some of today's art, why not hear from the artists themselves? Your hosts, Alex and Ben, collect influential artists of the West Coast to discover how they seek inspiration, how they handle mental health, and how to make a living as an artist in today's digital world. All discussed on Black Bulb Podcast. That's black like the color and bulb like a light bulb. Strange Bedfellows is sponsored in part by Comic Strip. This original Funhouse Lounge show is still the hottest ticket in town. Four of the best local and traveling comics take the stage and tell their jokes. And each time the strip master rings the bell, the comic must remove an article of clothing to continue their set. It's barely funny. Hosted by the talented, hot mess that is Chris Etrick. Comic Strip is every last Friday of every month at Funhouse Lounge, located in sexy Portland, Oregon. Visit purplepass.com slash comic strip for discounted pre-sale tickets. The show is 21 plus and follow them on Instagram at comic strip PDX. There, as far as gender and gender conversations are so, I mean, there's so much to have, so we won't really get too deep into it, but um, as far as your clients, do you feel that people of different genders process the stress of sex work differently or the same? I mean, some of the issues obviously are the same. Like when I talk to male strippers who say that they're like, I'm grabbed all the time. Right. Women grab me all the time. I've had my testicles clawed off, you know, and there's entitlement yeah. too. So that's the thing. I really, really get frustrated when people are like, oh, men are the worst. Men, men are disgusting. I'm like, oh, I've been sexually assaulted by so many women. <laughs> like as a sex worker, the entitlement is the same. So... Right. I mean, I think the biggest discrepancy I see is with non-binary folks because they're still trying to navigate their lives and identity in this um, community. And I think it's even more pronounced when they're when they're experiencing sex work or dancing because there's this infighting amongst the different groups. Where do they really fit? And there's a lot of feminists that don't accept them and don't welcome them in if they, if they are female identifying. Um, and then there's a lot of shame around their inability to get the pleasure they want. I had a client telling me the fact that the only time they get sex or pleasure is when they're working as a sex worker. And it's not the kind of bodies or person they want to be having sex with, mm. but that's the only thing they can get access to. Um, mm. So lots of shame and lots of stigma that they're still trying to experience um, as well as we currently the um, multiracial trans and gender folks are the, have a 33% higher suicide attempted rate right now. Mm. I think that population specifically has a much harder time trying to navigate uh, their own history of trauma, inter mm -hmm. intergenerational history of racism and oppression, as well as a gender transition, as and well as finding, sex work. Yeah, and finding community here in a very right. white city. Yeah. Right. We got this question and I just love it. So someone asked, how can I be more supportive of sex workers when I see people tearing them down on social media or TV? First of all, I 
don't give my money to things that are swerfy, horophobic. Um, right. I years ago got very vocal about the fact that Seth MacFarlane is a hateful, angry man, like family guy, all that shit. I don't watch it. Um, I don't, that movie girls night where they accidentally kill a stripper. I think in the beginning, Oh, girls movie when all of the misogyny is laced right in there. Um, so I don't give me money to things like that. People can stop saying the word ho if they're not a full (laughs) service sex worker. I think that standing up for people is important. When you see someone online calling calling someone a hoe, calling someone a whore, and using language like that, just step in and say that's not okay. Like you wouldn't stand for someone using the N word mm-hmm. or like some sort of really you know offensive racial slur. So don't don't let sexual slurs slide either. And I think too, and don't justify it by saying, hey, there's someone's daughter or there's somebody's mother oh yeah false concern we call that false concern yeah because we have i don't know sex workers have value as people and on their own right not just in their relationships to other people Um, Uh, it's important to remember that yeah i also i like to ask people i say are you concerned that the sex worker isn't being treated well or are you just concerned that they have sex for money (laughs) right like what's the real (laughs) issue here you know or Maybe do you wish you could have sex for money? <laughs> right. There was a, a woman on Facebook who was going off about pole dancers a couple days ago. And I got tagged in it because I always do. <laughs> People like, here, you go off on this person. I'm not your watchdog. But I, I glanced at the thread and I looked at her page um, because this is all info gathering, you know, right. <laughs> know thy enemy. And um, she she's a she's a Facebook model. She's like, I'm a professional model. And the shots, a lot of them are like, you know, there's cleavage and boobs and stuff. And some, and I didn't even say anything, but someone's like, well, she sure seems to have a lot of anger at people who make money off of being sexy as someone who posts photos <laughs> being sexy. Right. Well, that was actually my, my feedback is I think one of the challenges is our, is our current media experience. Like our only access to sex is really shitty fake sex in Hollywood and then sexualized images in media. Mm-hmm. But we don't get actually good information and content. So I think everyone has a, could play a role in pushing back around social media's filtering of sexuality content, filtering of sex ed. Like currently I can't post an ad for a sexuality education class. Like Facebook blocks that ad. Yes. So I can't I can't give good information to the world, but they can get a sexy ad that may not have anything to do with sex or pleasure and gives this false idea about bodies, about gender, about sex America loves the sensationalized sex we hate to educate about it right why and every single person has a role in that being able to say that yes this is valid content yes we want this yes we want to have access and pushing back on FAFSA SESTA contacting your legislators contacting your local politicians to talk about there's there needs to be more differentiation and our fear around sex sex trafficking which is actually not very prominent in terms of statistics the the rate of sexual assault and other kinds of sexual harm in our country is way more pronounced even just domestic violence in relationships Mm -hmm. and way more harm happening in your home than there is sex trafficking happening but this reactivity and shaming around it and inability to get good information Mm -hmm. um, pushes them into these places where they're attacking the rest of us who just want to make money and want to give the world better information Mm -hmm. oh my god and the clients when they're like thank you people start Mm -hmm. crying they're like nobody touches me nobody hugs me i haven't felt a woman's touch in years it's huge. <sighs> um, when I get those texts from different people working for different uh, campaigns and they say, hey, can we count on your vote for representative blah, blah, blah. And I respond to them. I said, I'm going to look into your candidate. Uh, would they please would so and so please consider supporting sex workers? Blah. Like I'll say something mm-hmm. and maybe they answer. Maybe they don't. But like I'm giving them feedback. This is important to me. And people can do that. Right. 
do that. Tell them what's important to you. Um, if you see something on, something on television, I was literally standing in the club, okay, standing in the club, and I've done escorting, I've done stripping, sold fetish, webcam, um, bachelor party. Like I've I've done the work for. I've been naked on the internet for thirteen years, okay. <laughs> so I'm watching I'm watching this show. I don't know what it is, and it looks like a mother and a daughter. And the mother's just been caught in a peep show. She's working. She's also homeless, and it looks like she has substance abuse issues. This is what I gleaned from five minutes. Is this minutes. a reality this, show? No, or this like is a sitcom. A, this is a fiction. A sitcom, obviously, probably not a sitcom. <laughs> but so there's all these things going on, and I'm watching the closed captions as I'm in my club, and the daughter, whoever character, she says, um, "You're working in the sex industry. You'll be dead within a year." And I look mm-hmm. at my customer. I was like, "Fuck, I'm gonna be dead within a year." <laughs> You both have made it so long. <laughs> I know. And I, and like, again, people, street level sex workers, that is a different issue. Right. Most people doing sex work actually aren't homeless. Um, there's studies to say, I mean, I don't know that for sure, but it's definitely one of those things where the it's again, it's the false concern where it's like the issue is not right. that she's doing adult work. The issue is that she has substance abuse and she doesn't have a safe place to live. Right. And we don't you have good research and data on it because it's a really underreported population. Right. And like why would why would sex workers report? I mean, right. a- again, if you go to the doctor, if you go to the gynecologist and you give your history, when I am honest about the work that I do, sometimes the provider doesn't bat an eye. Other right. times I get a lecture. Right. Even in my field, like I'm a, I have a master's degree and a license in my field, and I often get criticism around my asking for STI testing. She's like, why do you need this? Why do you need all these tests? I said, I get to be in charge of my own sexual health and well-being. I had but a woman write me who said that she found out she had herpes after she went to the doctor four different times. It was just very deep, and she was having an outbreak around her cervix, and it was very mm-hmm. painful for her, and she had bleeding four different times because in the first STI screening, they don't test for herpes, apparently. Right, you have to ask for it and push. And the, the co- often will tell you that this is because the CDC doesn't currently rec- recommend it. They say that we're, they're not going to do that unless you continue to push and push. Right. So people have to advocate and you have to dig through the provider shame. Right. Oh, my God. Um, what else can we do to be supportive of sex workers? Stop making dead stripper and dead hooker jokes. Yeah. It's not funny. Right. You know? Like, why, why are we the butt? I don't know. The media sort of loves that narrative, though. Like, but that people movie love that it. you mentioned, what was a very bad day? Was that the... Um, oh, what I was that movie called? A, a very Bad Things. No. It was one of the Bachelor Girls Party Night. movies. Oh, Girls Night. Girls but Night. there's been so many. There was another, I don't know, I can think of like three movies off the top of my head that involve right. a Bachelor Party and a dead stripper mm-hmm. at, at some point. 30 Rock. Right. Tina Fey is so mm-hmm. horophobic. Tina yeah. Fey hates sex workers. Right. I mean, even just getting to know them, spend time. I, I go to the strip clubs and I just like chat with the dancers. But you're tipping them too. Yeah. Tipping them, having yeah. a conversation, <laughs> being friendly, treating people with respect and kindness. Yeah. Um, you know, approaching when if you see someone that seems like they're having a hard time or like just moving more towards people that you typically wouldn't normally have an encounter with or an engagement with and seek to get to know them. You can't really know their perspective until you know a human and talk to them directly. At the same time, I really, it's a pet peeve of mine when people try to educate me about my job. Yeah, don't do that. I really hate that. Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) And And also, don't out me. I mean, most of my friends, I'm pretty upfront. I'm I'm a private person, but I'm pretty, I, I don't like to lie about my past. That's something that I won't do. However, if I just, it's up to me to disclose to someone when meeting them, what I've done in the past, like, don't assume that if somebody is don't don't out people, I guess. Right. That's, because right. Because I'm comfortable right. and, and secure in my job. But it also out of context doesn't make sense. Because, again, if you want to go buy something at the store, I had someone shout across the street at me about like where I worked. And I was like, 
I just want to, yeah, I just want to tell people when I'm ready. You know, sometimes that's not how I want to be introduced to someone. Meet my friend Jen. She's a stripper. Right. It's like, why does that? I had a guy once, a Tinder date. He's like, my friends are going to be so excited when I tell them I'm dating a stripper. And I said, what does that mean? We didn't date. We didn't. I had sex (laughs) with him twice. It was okay. Right. Well, and, and if you do go to the clubs, make sure you pay them lots of money and give them lots of care and respect. Or don't um, go. If you can't afford go. to go, don't go. You know, <laughs> I don't too. go to a restaurant if I don't have money, if I know I can't tip the person 20%, 15%. This is the one time I got kicked out of Sassy's, actually. Uh, oh, no. I was standing I was, I was standing in the middle, like, That's yelling at people to pay them more money. I was like, <laughs> they're doing such a good job. They're working so hard. Give them all your money. And they kicked you out for <laughs> Well, they were like, sit down. They're like, that lady's yelling. <laughs> Chill out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We appreciate it, though. We, we love it when people stand up for us. Like on stage, I have, I don't know, I try not to get angry with people because once I show my anger, it takes the people that are tipping me out of the fantasy. But right. that's, but it's really wonderful if somebody else points it out. Certainly. Because then that takes the pressure off me to be like, hey, shithead, put money down. <laughs> or I'm, it makes me mad. I'll be, I'll be sure to always tell anyone near me, you need to pay their money. So let's actually talk um, about relationship stuff relating to sex workers. Yeah. I get a lot of asks from primarily women um, who say, how can I help my partner be less jealous that this is a job, you know, that I'm not going to work to meet people um, or how do I get them to just like hate it less? That's something I have been very lucky that because I've been naked for money for so long that it took me a few years to figure out the red flags and to set my boundaries. So in the past nine or so, I've had great relationships, interactions, because very immediately when I meet someone, I tell them exactly what I do. And how they react determines how I proceed. And I tell girls, I say, a red flag is when your partner says, I don't like what you do, but I respect it. Because what it means is I am going to push this down and push it down until something else comes up. And then I'm going to call you a whore or slut. And that happens all the time. So I don't like what you do, but I respect it is actually not a great thing to hear. Those are also the ones, those always turn out to be the guys too that let you pay for everything, that talk shit to you about your job, but expect but they you like, to pick mm-hmm. up the tab right. for everything. Like they have mm-hmm. no problem spending your stripper money. And I tell girls that too. I'm like, unless he wants to pay your bills, if he's telling you to quit, he better right. support you. And then even then, Absolutely. that's a tricky spot to be because yeah, right? you don't you're have still your working for it independence. If, right. if yeah. they're paying for everything. Yeah. I mean, the best thing to hear when you are like, I'm a sex worker, I'm a stripper, is someone be like, oh, cool. It's just a job. Certainly. Just a job. Any other well, I think, and I think if you're if you're dealing with uh, heterosexual relationships, you're dating you're dating the patriarchy and the mis- and misogyny and it's sort of the nth degree because you're in this industry where it's going to bring out more of that and you're gonna that those are the kind of people that are more attracted to sort of the fetishization of those experiences mm. too. So knowing that you're explicitly having to face more of that in every dating encounter mm-hmm. um, and how you stand up for your personal liberty, your personal right to make decisions and make your own choices and setting that standard from day one that I have, I have a couple of dancer clients that are in abusive relationships and it's so hard for them to get out of that because they have no community and no support system because of their jobs. And this person becomes their primary, um, primary tool for getting through the day Mm -hmm. when really I asked a client recently, you know, what do you, what do you get out of this relationship? And they were like, um, just someone to spend time with me and that thinks I'm okay. Ugh. And you know, which is such a, such a devaluing component around how we engage in relationships when mm-hmm. you are worth so much more, you're worth the right to have love and respect and kindness to be treated mm-hmm. with, treated in the way that 
um, you feel really good moving towards pleasure, not having to engage in sex you don't want to have, not having to be pushed in terms of your boundaries, um, and creating community. I think one of the challenges that I really encourage my clients to face is seeking relationships that are more meaningful beyond romantic partnerships. Yes. So having a, or a circle, certainly having a circle and a network of people that will meet your needs. So there's not a dependency on a partner. Um, and that jealousy stuff is all about their shit. Whenever they're asking you to manage their jealousy, that's their that's their feeling to manage yep. and pushing back on. I'm not, I will not change my behavior to manage your feelings. Yeah. Um, and also one of the things that I've heard from other women, they say, well, my boyfriend is fine with it, but all his friends are weird around me or whatever. So that's the other thing with the misogyny and the sexism right. is if you as the worker happen to find someone who is like, okay, I've been raised my whole life to think of you as this worthless piece of shit. But you're actually a human being just doing a job that's like really stigmatized. Okay, I can get with this. Now let me explain this to all my friends and family. Yeah, but you know what? The onus is on them to just oh, stop their friends and family right. from talking shit about you. Oh, I agree. So, yeah. I when know. I tell all of my dancer and sex worker clients that you are fucking badass and you are awesome and you deserve so much of the the encouragement and power from the rest of the world because you're super resilient. I mean, dancers are some of the most resilient people that I know because you face you face this from day one. Hey friends, do you get sore muscles or stiff joints like us? How's your skin? Is it dry, itchy, irritated, bruised, or sunburned? If so, it sounds like you need some Nabalm in your pocket. Nabalm, that's N-A-E-B-A-L-M, is an all-natural skin and body balm handmade right here in Portland. Nabalm products use a base of organic olive oil and beeswax followed by an infusion of therapeutic essential oils, each of which provides all sorts of benefit. Oh yes, and they smell amazing. To learn more, check out nabalm.com or search Nabalm on Facebook or Instagram. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with the partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Visit her office in Portland or connect via Skype to take your intimate life to the next level. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. So you had said something earlier, Jen, about it's hard to transition out of the work when we don't, we're not able to reintegrate. It is. Um, I mean, we're constantly told by the society, um, by media, by even like self-proclaimed allies that our goal should be exiting the industry but we're not given any resources there's there's no one to help you write a resume there's no one to help you transition out you, they just get you out then you're left to your own devices or um, pay your taxes you know young women ask me how do i how do i i want to own things someday how do i pay my right. taxes use a 1099 but they can't ask their parents so right when i find a lot of the dancers too are struggling with other mental illness and other challenges that make dancing or sex work the perfect job for them they get to make their own schedule they get to be totally in charge of the clients they get to have say over how they engage in the rest of their world and, and, and it's hard to then transition how do you cope with your mental health and your other life challenges in a nine-to-five job which maybe not isn't the right fit for you as a human but there's right. again no strategies around how do we help you you know develop other businesses and be mm-hmm. um fit that fit your your needs mm-hmm. I, I guess my point is when you're ready to when you're ready to exit the industry and maybe seeking help from an out, outside source just getting us out maybe isn't enough like help us transition to a new right career um yeah if you want it i mean definitely there's women there's women who are gonna have a really hard time because of where they live they can never ever tell anyone 
Uh, one woman said, she says, I, I lived in New Jersey and I was a stripper for five years and I didn't date at all because the climate was so bad. And then when I went right. into social work, I just right. made up a bunch of waitressing stuff. So, I mean, at I mean least, we're really right. lucky here in Portland that there is such a large like sex industry culture here. I'm from the South originally. And I mean, I could never go back there and get a job. Yeah, there's no now. way. I yeah. mean. But there is so much support here. So also, also, I really encourage everyone to seek therapy or community support or resources as they need so they can get all the care that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, something I noticed when I started doing nude modeling, I had a boyfriend. This was my last unhealthy relationship. I was 20 at the time. But when we were together, he was very unhappy about the fact that I was a clerk in a porn shop, that I was naked on the Internet. But when we went to parties, here's my you know, softcore porn girlfriend, she's naked on the internet. She works in a porn shop. Super cool. So all the insecurity stuff, but it was like a cool party trick. So you see that in culture with like 16 year old girls calling each other hoes. Mm -hmm. You guys aren't hoes. Like you're not, you've never taken money in an envelope and then put a condom on someone's (laughs) dick before you suck them off and listen to them talk about their wife and their boat. Okay. Like you don't know that maybe you will someday, but um, but like glamorizing the fun stuff and then not respecting the labor, you know? Right. So like, I'm going to dress like a stripper, dance like a stripper. What the fuck do strippers dress like, you know, in the daytime? I've been standing in line in the grocery store and someone said something about so-and-so dresses like a stripper. And I just like looked at the woman <laughs> like, oh, you know, and I think right. she just saw my gaze. But so... I'm really interested to see how that morphs along into society because we do have some other um, stripper, sex worker, celebrities, Cardi B, um, Amber Rose, probably some others. Dita Von Teese did a little bit of erotica, which isn't really talked about. She was a stripper. Um, Amanda from the Dresden Dolls was a stripper. And they'll talk about it, like how it helped them grow their performance art. But it's really interesting. I've watched interviews with Dita Von Teese where she mentioned it. And then the online one where they hosted completely cut it out. Mm. So um, I think what we have to do when we see that kind of stuff is call, call them on it. Like I will leave a comment to a young girl. I'm like, hey, I'm actually a sex worker and you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I would like to see it um, be made kind of like a big social faux pas to call somebody a stripper or a whore as if it's derogatory. derogatory. Exactly. Yeah. And I'll just I mean, that's what I do again, because you can't educate people when you're screaming at them and you want (laughs) to build bridges. But but if you're like, hey, this is actually incorrect and it hurts people. There are people who will be receptive to that. Yeah, so, I think so too. And it's their own internalized shame and moralism that they've decided what what's valid in terms of sexual expression. And even mm-hmm. me being out as a slutty therapist is a really interesting <laughs> dynamic because there's a lot of like fetishization of of, of that and mm-hmm. not actually treating us like humans as soon as we're sluts. And we can both be humans and sluts. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and we are. And, and get paid for it. And often we are. Yeah. What is it? Sluts get laid, whores get paid. <laughs> I didn't make that up, but I like it. <laughs> Certainly. Some of the obstacles that sex workers face is like even existing. Twitter was shadow banning us for a long time. They might still be. So that's the other thing. We're not even allowed to exist on the Internet right now post FOSTA and SESTA because these websites don't want to host our presence if we could be conflated with trafficking and then they get sued. Because the thing with FOSTA and SESTA was holding these websites accountable if there was any trafficking going on. These websites can't look at my Facebook and know whether or not I'm performing consensually. So they'll just delete me. So I changed. I took a lot of stuff out of my email, my bio, um, because I just don't want to get our podcast on Instagram. They kill the link to it all the time. We can't even advertise. We can't even have a link to our podcast. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. I mean, it's ridiculous. I see rape memes and stuff all the time. I'm like, this is fine. 
this is fine. Yeah, and I know like lots of girls um, that I work with who just like like woke up one day and had their Instagram deleted, and they use that often as like an advertising, as a revenue stream for themselves. Mm-hmm. And you just wake up and it's gone. Like mm-hmm. you know, all your yeah. Photos right gone. after FOSTA, actually, Instagram banned all variations of stripper and female stripper, not male stripper, but for two days those were gone. Yeah, the hashtags. Yeah. Yeah, they Same. blocked them. I think Google can shut you down too. Yeah, Google. With- Google, um, Google Drive, yeah. Google Drive will delete your files if they find nudity or obscenity, which is to everyone. That's that's applicable that to puts me in such a bad position as an investigator. And her. And because me. yeah, because yeah. I have all kinds right. of privileged stuff, Certainly. you know, comes through my Google Drive. And right. I don't I'm not comfortable with Google going through going it. Going through it. Not no. at all. Microsoft said post FOSTA that they were going to start monitoring people's Skype conversations for nudity and obscenity. And people said, well, what if I'm Skyping with my girlfriend? Right. That's to you. They don't care. No nudity. How much this speaks to like male privilege and oppression too? this idea that no one's watching these like execs for their, you know, fraudulent behavior, white collar crime happening through their email or their Google Drive. But as soon as it's sex related, which is primarily targeting females, like there's this there's this shift around. Now it's we're shutting Mm -hmm. it down. Now we're going to impact your economic ability to succeed. But also, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get better. Mm hmm. Yeah, you can have your payment processing account frozen and shut down, and 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 it happens for being a sex worker. I had my Square that I used for about three years. It took them three years to find me and fire me, but I woke up one morning after having um, done some VIP time, so it was like a couple hundred bucks in the account, and I actually didn't lose any money because I just transfer things, in, or I did, I transfer them immediately, which is very stressful waking up after you've had these transactions. Got to transfer it because... What happened to some of my other friends uh, with Square is one woman who was also a artist. She made pottery, I believe, and a stripper. Um, they kept about $2,000 in her account. And she even had a receipt to show, look, this is the item I just sold. And they somehow another way. I think what they did was location tag yep. it at the clubs. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if Venmo, PayPal, Square... Uh, cash app maybe probably but all the major payment processing systems say in their privacy policy and their terms of use you can't use this for sex work or adult entertainment people do because we have to live right (laughs) I had a woman email me yesterday she says a client wants to pay me in checks and I said number one you don't know if there's money in the account they could bounce number two contact your financial financial institution and see what they can see if you cash them because if you have a client who wants to prepay with checks and you deposit it and the money's in there, that's one thing. That could be a better option for maybe sugar babies or, you know, when you have like meetings planned. Mm, right. Um, but also maybe cryptocurrency is maybe the Cryptocurrency, the of, people are getting yeah. into that. Spank chain I've heard about. But like we yeah. shouldn't have to do all this stuff. Right. People pay, pay, people pay for literally everything. You pay for people to pull your teeth, wash your hair, cut your toenails. It's called getting a pedicure. You know, manage your money. As soon as your genitals are involved, it's yeah, everything's, everything's bad. Why do we criminalize? Why do we criminalize consensual labor? Yeah. But yeah, I think people are angry. We're pissed. We're sick of like losing our freedoms. We're sick of these right. Obama era protections being rolled back against trans people and gay people. And holy shit, we're sick of our clinics being closed. We're sick of losing our presence online. Maybe losing our porn. Losing some of our porn. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big deal. Okay, so SESTA and FOSTA was introduced by two Republican, I believe, representatives. And it was around the time of the big Backpage scandal, Backpage.com. 
because they did get busted. They had hosted some postings where the workers in question were minors, which automatically is there's no consent if they're under 18. So automatically is trafficking. Um, they did try to conceal that. That was bad. They shouldn't have done that. Bad back page. So the problem with that is because there aren't a lot of platforms for sex workers to post. A lot of consensual sex workers used it, um, relied on it to track and schedule their clients, to keep the safe, good clients, to avoid the dangerous ones, because you can't avoid bad people if you're not doing your own booking. So it's like, how do you track your clients? You need to keep the good ones. Um, and these Republicans said that Backpage was the hub of all or most sex trafficking, which was completely pulled out of the air. Rob Portman from uh, Ohio said that. And I'm really curious how these conservative politicians know so much about porn and trafficking. (laughs) We know how they know. They know nothing. So what happened was Backpage had been raided and charged the day before Faust and Sesta even passed. So under the current guidelines that we had, everything worked as well as it could. But again, this was supported by anti-porn crusaders, celebrities who don't know the difference between sex work and trafficking, and then everyone else who didn't want to vote no on something called fight online sex trafficking, you know, and it was right before midterm. So I think a lot of politicians were like, I don't want to vote no on this, this, and they don't understand the nuance of it. Well, there used to be protection in the law where you could, you wouldn't be responsible for something that a third party posts on your site. Right. And so now basically the shift is that now you're, you can be held li- liable for content that someone posts on your website. Thank you. Yeah. So section 230 of yeah. the Communications Decency Act, which has governed the internet for 22 years until a couple months ago. But that was the, the concept that in order to have free speech and um, access to all kinds of information is that you don't hold the third party or you don't hold the... You don't hold the website liable for third-party content. Right. So Facebook is not liable. Before, Facebook would not be liable if I sent a nude or something that turned out I was right. underage. Now, Facebook, in theory, could be sued for, I think, up to $250,000 and up to 25 years in prison is what right. anyone who facilitates or promotes trafficking. So all these websites, Instagram... Google, Facebook, Skype, they're like, I don't want to be charged with this. I don't want to, I don't want to be attacked like Backpage was, so I'm just going to ban it all. So, and this is why you see it impacting sex workers, sex educators, researchers, sexologists, private investigators, (laughs) clinicians, because if the internet's been deemed dangerous and they scrub it, then the internet, then the information doesn't exist anymore. Which includes positive information too. (laughs) Do you want to plug our group that we're going to do? Yeah. Can I? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, that's right. Cause it'll be on the episode anyway. So Angie and I will be facilitating a small gathering. What are we, how many people do we think? Uh, 10 to 12, 10 to 12. We're holding registration now. August 20th is when it starts every Monday for how many weeks? It'll be at, um, eight week session to start eight week session. This will be small therapy groups open to all sex workers and the drop in fee is $25. Yep. Yeah. So get a hold of Angie. Where can people find you? connectivetherapyservices.com. And if the fee is a problem, please talk with us. We want to make sure that everyone has access and that this is a, a much more affordable option to getting the therapy and support that you need um, and getting peer feedback too. Because sometimes you just don't want to hear me talking all the time. So you get to hear from other people. And the fact that I think I'm really glad to have Elle joining me and she can give a different perspective as well. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Jen, do you have any last thoughts? Um, get closer to the mic. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Last thoughts. Um, no, that's about it. Thank you for... Thank you for coming. You're yeah. so good. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Thanks, Carly. Thanks, Slut Ever. Thank you. Yeah. Until next time. 
For more Strange Bedfellows, check us out on patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows and become a supporter for access to behind the scenes material and extra content. My name is Elle Stanger and you can find me at stripperwriter.com and on Instagram at stripperwriter. And my name is Jen. You can reach me on strangebedfellowspdx.com. 